Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming today. Told a lot of jokes in the first hour. They laughed a lot, so the, the stakes are high. We'll see, see who's going to laugh. I've told some people that I was preaching in the back. I've seen, well, no, they're still here. Good. All right. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for today. Thanks for your love, your reckless love. Thanks so much for all that you do for us and that you come beside us and you say, hey, come, walk with me for I want to give you rest. We pray for rest today. We pray for Autumn Brown and the loss of her mom and the influence that she had on her and that she finds rest in you as she grieves, as she celebrates her mom. Pray for Jerry Webb in this upcoming surgery. This week on Thursday, we lift him up. Pray for Bev Wise as she's in the hospital. We pray for Debbie Bird as her mom is in the hospital as well. We, we lift these burdens to you. We lift them up and we ask for your help. We ask that you open our heart and our mind to your word, to your truth. May we be encouraged. Our minds are restless. Our bodies are weary. And our tendency is to go somewhere else. But I pray we stay in your presence today. Give me the words in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Luke 6, 1 through 11. Luke 6, 1 through 11. If you don't like Luke, if you're a little partial to Matthew, I'm a little partial to Matthew. Um, thank you. Paid you. We'll pay you more after this. Matthew 12, 1 through 13. Just kidding, don't go there, but just write it down. Mark 3, 1 through 6. But today, Luke 6, 1 through 11, the disciples picking wheat on the Sabbath. Today, we're going to study and look at rest. It's interesting in light of the spring break, here we are talking about rest. I don't know about you, but when you're working full time and you're developing a sermon, there's not a lot of rest in that. And so this afternoon, I'm going to Go watch North Carolina beat Texas A&M in basketball. Yeah. Yes. So there's a house divided. That's good. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. No, I am from North Carolina originally and uh, love Carolina basketball. Um, I'm, I'm thinking all four of my kids are going to go to A&M, though, so we'll see. God has a sense of humor. <laughs> you like that. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's get spiritual here. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the head of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Can you get this picture here? Jesus is walking in relationship with his disciples alongside the grain field, and they get hungry. They were hungry. That was the need. He saw the need, 
and he reaches out and they start to eat. Is it me or is it you? Or are you wondering if Jesus is eating too? Is he pulling the grain? Is he eating or is it just the disciples? But the main point here is that Jesus saw the need. One may say that they were stealing. However, it was in God's law on that day. The farmers were to leave, if you know anything about this, the edges of the fields unplowed so that the travelers and the poor could come alongside and eat from what was there. We see that, note this, if you're writing notes in your text, Deuteronomy 23, 25. And so here's the deal, they were not stealing. Neither were they breaking any divine law by doing work. However, they were violating the Pharisees' rules and religion. So Jesus saw the need and the Pharisees saw rules in religion. One may say they were stealing, but they were not. The Pharisees had 39 different categories that were forbidden on the Sabbath. 39. And harvesting was considered one of them. They even went as far to have subcategories that they couldn't measure up to. So, the Pharisees saw categories. They saw religion. They were not concerned about the needs of the people. They were deeply devoted to put people in this category of a system. Guess what? We serve a God that is deeply devoted to put that not to put people in categories. We serve a God that is not limited by our categories. The need and relationship triumphs over these categories. The need and the relationship triumphs over religion. And this is why they ultimately killed Jesus, because they could not find a category to put him in. And God challenges our categories. He challenges them. The Pharisees thought that their system of categories had all the answers, but in actuality, their categories were exhausting. There was no rest in this legal system. There was no rest in all the rules and regulations. And as a result, they were exhausted and they missed Christ. Here's the cool thing. You see, Jesus was doing all kinds of wrong in the eyes of the Pharisees, but he was doing all kinds of right in the eyes of God. Lindsay laughs at me. I'm a counselor, so I ask a lot of questions. And I say, hey, you must ask yourself. Just sounds funny. Self? <laughs> but we must ask ourselves, whose eyes am I concerned about? Whose eyes am I concerned about? Am I doing right in the eyes of the world, of the Pharisees? Am I doing right in the eyes of Jesus? This sermon is not meant to be guilt and shame. I spend a lot of time working on guilt and shame and helping people free from that. Ultimately, God is the healer of guilt and shame. But I don't want to rule out conviction because if you're convicted, that's awesome. It's not me, it's him. So I say, we must ask ourselves, whose eyes am I concerned about? And what categories do you and I have? What do we have? Could it be the categories that we have 
are a major contributing factor to us being so tired and exhausted. Could it be that we are missing Christ for the same reason? But here's the cool thing. A person's value has no relationship to wealth, to status, to skin color, to rank and system, to job. Our circumstances ebb and flow, but God says, hey, your value is consistent. Your value stays the same. Matthew 3, 17, it's on the screen. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Ridge Church, let us be careful that thinking that we have all the answers or that these people don't fit in a specific category. Get this, the Pharisees' pride ultimately kept them from Jesus. Verse three through five. And Jesus answering them said, have you not even read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for any to accept, any to eat except the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So in verse three, we see Jesus answering the Pharisees' question by relating it to this Old Testament story, if you're wanting to go back and reference that, 1 Samuel 21, one through six. So there each week in the temple, 12 consecrated loaves, okay, this bread were placed in the temple and they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And after it was used in the temple, it was only to be eaten by the priest. So you have these 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes only to be eaten by the priest, right? Rules, religion. Jesus relates this story and he says, anyone that David saw the need for someone to eat for his men and he took some of the bread, he used this to relate, get this, the Pharisee, that the Pharisees, to the Pharisees rather, that human need which, which was more important than human regulation and rules. Jesus was using this to highlight that if they were gonna condemn Jesus, then they had to condemn David. And that didn't set right. Jesus, verse five, is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And so I know you're asking, because you're good students, what is the Sabbath? You're asking that, right? I, I think, I think. What is the Sabbath? It's not just Sunday afternoon where you don't mow the yard. Although I am thankful that my dad didn't see the need that the grass was high and say, get out and, and mow the yard. We were off on Sunday afternoon growing up. In the original Hebrew language, it means to stop, to cease, or to keep. The meaning of the Sabbath comes to light against the background of a couple, several facts here. First, Exodus 28 through 11 makes a clear connection between the Sabbath day and the seventh day on which God rested, the creator rested. If, if, if there's enough motivation for God, the creator to rest, don't you think there's motivation for us to rest? We're gonna talk about that. The Sabbath observance therefore involves the affirmation 
that God is the creator. So we affirm he's the creator and the sustainer of the world. So to remember the Sabbath for the Jew meant that they identified with this seven-day-a-week rhythm of life and being as God was the creator and they belonged to him. So in ceasing from labor, they stopped working we're reminded of this dependent relationship on God. And so when we work too much, we are exhausted. Who are we depending on? The Sabbath preaches a different text. Secondly, by stressing the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. And we see that in Mark 2, 27. Jesus gives an indication as to this true meaning that he places it against the universal horizon of God's intent that it benefits, the Sabbath benefits all creation and not just Israel. See, Jesus' healings on the Sabbath underscored the beneficent character for it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. We see that in Matthew 12, 12. And in many cases, we see Jesus acting with urgency in the interest of life and of salvation. The Pharisees didn't see that. Luke 4:42. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. The bottom line is Jesus got away and he rested. So again, if he needs rest, how much more do we need rest? But here's the deal. Sometimes we get away and we stay away. We get away and we stay away. In the scripture, we see the balance. Resting in bed all day doesn't amount to keeping the Sabbath. I just lost some of you. Anyway, that's what Lindsay says to me. Matt, get up. We got four kids. It's time to go. It's 10 o'clock. <laughs> it's Tuesday. I didn't get that one approved, but she's laughing. Hey, this is not in, the, in, in my notes, but hey, part of rest is laughter. How therapeutic is laughter? Maybe I'll, if they let me after this, I'm not sure, but they might let me come back and talk on that. Joyfulness, laughter, do it. All right. Jesus got away and he rested. The fourth commandment, Exodus 28, places positive command to keep the Sabbath holy before the negative prohibition to cease working. We see that in Exodus 28. Eight. The Sabbath is to be a delight and a joy. Isaiah 58, 13. Tim Keller, I like what he says. This is a whole sermon in itself. If you read any Tim Keller, he's awesome. We might conclude that the practical benefits of the gospel Sabbath rest come to us only as individuals, as we pray and we read God's word, but that would be a mistake. God also strengthens us through the fellowship 
of community with Christians. So, for example, Paul caused Christians to carry each other's burdens, and this way you will, be, you will fulfill the law. We see that in Galatians 6.2. And yet we are told that Jesus will relive, relieve the burdens and that we are to cast all our cares and burdens onto God who bears them daily. So which is it? It's a great question. Are we to look to God to support us under our work and burdens or to other Christian brothers and sisters? Obviously, the answer is both because it's normally through the sympathy and encouragement of Christian friends that we experience God refreshing and supporting us in our work. If you've been here any time at all, you hear Jerry up here telling to get involved in Bible study, get plugged in with life group, get involved with somebody. It's important, not from a legalistic, pharisaical standpoint, but because that's what we need. God designed us that way. I go to, or I used to go to a Thursday morning Bible study. We'll see how the men will let me back in this Thursday. But it's a great time not to just legalistically study God's word, but to fellowship and to relax, enjoy coffee, to get in God's word, to be encouraged, to gain from their wisdom what not to do. So here's the question, when is your Sabbath? Is Jesus the Lord of your Sabbath? And if not, what are you trying to find rest in? Because we find rest in things. We're going to find rest in things. We're designed that way. Is it Jesus? Is it getting away? Is it going to play golf? Is it going to, to that Bible study? Is it putting that phone in the basket at home? Some of you are like, what basket? You go have one after this. <laughs> Is your phone coming into the bedroom and dividing you? Is it the first thing like my four-year-old says, daddy, he doesn't even say, hey, daddy, good morning, love you, where's your phone? He says, where's your phone? But I'm reminded, how do I do that to my God? Don't even say good morning, I just jump on my phone. When is your Sabbath? Verse six through 10, on, the other, on another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with the withered hand, get up, come forward, and he got up and he came forward and Jesus said them to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them, all oh, he said, stretch your hand out. And he did so and his hand was restored. But they themselves were full with full rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. In these verses we see, and again, 
Jesus healing on the Sabbath, these are just two texts. You see it all in the, in the New Testament, right? Go, go look at it. You don't have to flip far to see Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And we already know that the tradition of the religious leaders was taboo. Healing someone was considered practicing medicine. And this, of course, fell underneath their 39 different categories. Again, they were more concerned with regulations and tradition, and they elevated that over human need of someone being healed. So how about you? Looking at this story, where are you? Are you the Pharisee? Or are you the man with the shriveled hand needing healing? Are you both? I would say we're all Pharisees in a way. If we're not careful, we'll miss that. I had all these categories of breaking down how we were Pharisees and who was what, and you could probably identify. Lindsay said, hey, Matt, you're all of those, so I decided not to put that in here. (laughs) But if we're not careful, we'll miss that we have a Pharisee way of thinking. I saw a post this week. When you think of social media, I am nowhere near social media (laughs) for the most part. But I'm trying to delve into that in a healthy way to encourage people and to help business and to put things out there to combat the negativity that is in social media. I think we can use social media as a great positive influence and a platform to influence people and to encourage people but we gotta be careful with that. But I saw a post this week, it said, out of the office until next week, hashtag self-care, hashtag family time. I didn't even know what hashtag was until like two weeks ago. (laughs) How long has it been since you put out of the office until next week, hashtag self-care, hashtag family time? Oh, but Matt, I can't, I can't afford to do that. I can't do that. I understand. Some people are in Cancun this week. We're in the living room. <laughs> Your self-care doesn't mean you have to go to Cancun. Maybe you get friends that do go to Cancun and go with them. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in their surging. If you want more emphasis on this, I, I actually, they let me preach like once a year, usually. March is a little early this year. I don't know. We'll see what happens usually in June, July. But I preached the last sermon, I believe, on Psalm 46, and it talks about anxiety. So if you, you want further study on that and you thought this was somewhat helpful, <laughs> go, go listen to that one. I get paid per click. So click on the... <laughs> share, share it with your family. Totally kidding. I don't get... For you first-timers, I don't get paid anything. 
I really wanted to be a stand-up comedian, but Lindsay's, <laughs> Lindsay said, I, I really like to eat. <laughs> so I went into counseling. <laughs> I love this verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Love that verse. We'll come back to it here in just a second, but listen to this quote. Every now and then go away. Have a little relaxation, for when you come back to your work, your judgment will be sure since to remain constantly at work will cause you to lose power of judgment. Go some distance away because then the work appears smaller and more of it can be taken in at a glance and lack of harmony or proportion is more readily seen. These are the words of Leonardo da Vinci. Listen to this. He wasn't an idle man. He excelled as a painter, we know that. He was a sculptor. He was a poet, an architect, an engineer, a city planner, a scientist, an inventor, an anatomist. He was a military genius and philosopher. Well, that's depressing for comparison. <laughs> but he needed rest. He recognized it, and he got away, and he rested. Everyone, it seems, these days... We live in this North Texas area. It's fast pace, it's breakneck pace. It's constantly rushing here and there, getting everything done. We're advancing technologically. We live in Frisco. I mean, you, you guys live here. There's anything and everything. I love golf. The PGA headquarters is supposedly, I don't know what that's gonna do for me, but it's kinda cool. PGA headquarters in my backyard. Everything is in this area. We don't lack for anything, but do we lack for rest? Do we lack for spending time with God? There's so many things at our fingertips making it difficult to catch up. We frantically scramble. We're, we, we seem like we're in touch, but could it be that we're more out of touch than ever, I haven't talked to my mom in three months, but man, I've seen her on social media every day. That's not a true story, but you know what I mean? We're out of touch with the world around us. I talk to my neighbor through text or social media, but what my neighbor really needs is me to walk across the grass, or I don't really have grass in my yard, walk across the weeds <laughs> and talk to them to be Jesus to them. I love what Benitha Rindel Reisner says in her article on rest. It's a great article. Jesus doesn't just offer rest. Here's the deal today. He shows us how to do it. We're looking for 39, I thought about 30, not bringing you 39 different ways to, and I was like, well, I can't do that. Practical things to do. Here, I just told you there's 39 different categories, and then I'm going to give you 39 different practical things to do to rest. 
but let's not try to look for the profound and miss the simplicity of Jesus. He shows us how to do it. Are we looking for it deeply within the text? It is a necessity. Rest is a necessity. It's not a luxury. It's, guess what, an act of worship. It's not laziness. Let me, let me say that again, mainly for me. It's a necessity, not a luxury, an act of worship, not a sign of laziness. When have you ever seen somebody napping or resting or at the pool, laying around by the pool, burns, I see him in his front yard napping, saying, was that an act of, he's worshiping. Burns worships a lot. There's a lesson to be learned from that, though. There's a lesson to be learned. It's not lazy to rest. In his earthly life, Jesus displayed many facets of this rest. We look at spiritual rest. We look at physical rest. We look at mental rest. First and foremost, Jesus modeled spiritual rest. He took time. He carved out time to be alone with God. This was his highest priority. There's no doubt we know that. Jesus himself needed to get alone. He needed to hear God's voice. He needed to understand God's direction and rest in God's presence. And so the question today is, how are we being spiritually renewed? Are we connecting with God practically? Are we taking time to get alone with him? I'm not here to tell you that's five in the morning for you. Maybe it's 11 o'clock at night. Maybe it's not going to get something fast food. Maybe it's staying or walking around your complex or wherever you're at. But Jesus took time to connect with his father. He knows our deepest needs. He knows when we're empty. He knows what's best for us. And he wants us to put some things down, clear the noise, and hear his voice. Physical rest. Jesus also modeled physical rest. He fell asleep in the boat. We see that in Matthew or Mark. It's probably Matthew too, but Mark 4, 35 through 41. The storm is raging, right? And even though it was raging, he knew it was, and he went and he slept in the boat. Who would do that? That's my son. I was talking to my son, Reed, he's our four-year-old. And he's like, I said, Reed, I'm going to tell this story, your favorite story. This is his favorite story. And I'm going to tell it. And he goes, are you going to tell him that I like it? <laughs> it's my favorite story. I said, yes, I will tell him that you like it. There was a moment where he was bringing that to us on, a, on an everyday basis. Not just, hey, let's do devotions, but dad, let's do this one. We were reading the, like, this story every day, which is not a bad idea, because guess what? We forget. We forget. Even when others frantically wanted his help, Jesus was willing to take a nap. He knew when his body needed physical rest and was unapologetic about taking it. I'm sorry, I missed your call. I was napping. Maybe we should just say I was napping. I was worshiping Jesus. (laughs) 
Physical rest is hard to get. We're often, we feel ashamed of this need. We rarely take naps. We feel like sleep is a luxury even in the middle of the day. Even when I'm exhausted, we say, hey, I'm irresponsible. I'm, I'm lazy. But pushing ourselves with little sleep, we gotta be careful of that because it seems like sometimes it's a badge of honor. But the truth is, denying my physical rest is not a virtue. Here's, here's a whole other sermon. It's a form of pride. People even asked me this week, and it was, a busy, it was a busy week for me this week, but I'm gonna get rest this afternoon. They were like, what are you doing? I'm busy running to get a sandwich. I've never answered a text that said, hey, man, I'm napping. Of course, I'd be asleep. <laughs> but even if I was or I just got up, I don't wanna tell somebody I was sleeping. Maybe we need to tell people we're resting. But the truth is, denying our physical self is not this virtue. When we do, we don't treasure people. We're impatient with people. We're tired. And God's inviting us to care for ourselves, to pay attention to our physical body. Lastly, mental rest. From a counseling perspective, anxiety and depression is skyrocketing. We're so connected in all these different ways, but anxiety and mental unrest is skyrocketing. There's a lot of factors in that, and I don't want to go into that right now, but Jesus is calling us to come and to get mental rest with him. It's hard for us to turn off that switch sometimes, the thinking of all that needs to be done. Maybe one of the best things you can do is not do that chore. It just reminds me, my grandmother um, passed away two years ago. I said, Grandma, what, what would you recommend or what would be a good word of wisdom for you to me? And she said, you know, Matt, I would let a lot of things go that I thought were important at my house and I would spend more time with people. Sometimes we become too task-focused instead of relationship-focused. Yes, the tasks need to be done, no doubt. The relationships need to be made, but God help us find the balance. Jesus was unafraid to pull away and leave the crowds, even when they desperately wanted him. He would get into the boat with his disciples and go to the other side away from the multitudes. It was often in the midst of chaos when people were clamoring for him, but Jesus was clear on what God was calling him to do. So others, pressing needs, I need you, and their desire for his presence didn't drive his activity. Some people are like, Jesus healed everybody. I said, no, Jesus had boundaries. Yes, he did heal, but he had good boundaries. He knew when he needed to get away and rest. Real practical thing, if you want help with that, a book, a great book, write it down. When People Are Big and God is Small by Ed Welch. When People Are Big and God is Small is awesome with how do you balance that, how do you balance dependency on people versus God. We get that out of whack. 
This urgency often drives our activity and we let others' demands and felt needs determine what we do because if I don't do it, it won't get done, it's all up to me. Maybe the best thing you can do is allow somebody to brew you a cup of coffee. I need help with that. Is he like, you want some coffee? No, I'll get it. You want me to help you with that? No, I got it. Pride. Nothing is up to me. It's up to God. We get exhausted. We're frenzied. Accomplishing our purposes, not his. He's invited me to slow my pace and savor his gifts. Enjoy the present moment without worrying about what's not done. You think it's easier for me to come home and to encourage of what's been done and what's gotten done? Or is it easier for me to see that just a few minutes ago, everything was pretty much done and then right before I came in, it was destroyed. And I highlight what hasn't been done. But as we rest, as we slow down, as we encourage, as we think, people for what they're doing. We make space for things that are life-giving. We feel more energized. We feel more creative. We feel open to new ideas, and our soul finds rest. Some of us today are tired, no doubt. Maybe it's a good tired. Maybe you're tired from the wrong things. In what area do you need healing? Emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, socially. Maybe you need to lay the phone down. Maybe you need to pick the phone up. When is your Sabbath? Is it Sunday afternoon for some of us, for some of you in ministry? Sunday afternoon may not be your Sabbath. That's busy. But are we making time? And I would say, don't get caught up in the legality of just one day. How are we making rest for ourselves in God every day? Every day with Jesus. Is Jesus the Lord of your Sabbath? What are you trying to find rest in? I love the song, The Reckless Love. We, we sang it. I requested it. I didn't know how much pull I had because John's like, we've done that two weeks in a row. We've got to do something new. But it showed up today, so I, I guess that worked. And I'm thankful for that. But the Pharisee and religion say, I can earn it and I do deserve it. But the restless love of God says, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Jesus, I got to rest in you. So as they come up to continue to worship in closing, asking you a couple questions. Why are you so down? Have we lost hope? And here's the transparency I do from time to time. I lose hope. I get down. If any of you know me, I, I, I get down sometimes. But soon I realize that my eyes are fixed on something else besides Christ. And when I begin to align my thoughts towards Christ, then I soon see my feelings and my behavior, my thinking changing in the direction of his best for me. 
And sometimes, and a lot of times, he wants us to rest in that. Ultimate healing only comes from a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you don't have that today, talk to me, talk to someone beside you, because that is where we ultimately find rest. Our peace comes from knowing that God is present with us and he has taken care of us even during our troubled times, even during our our frenzy times. I love what the Net Bible says. It's Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, stop your striving and recognize that I am God. We can rest in him. 